one. Welcome to the fifth quarter, Conversations Beyond the X's and O's. I'm Jeff Osterman, joined by the legendary Layson Perkins. And tonight's guest, he's one of my favorite people. Forget basketball, Layson. He's got so many wins in All-Americans that you're going to learn about. But Mike Teasley is just one of the best people that I think our listeners are going to get to know. And they're going to Google him and some of his success stories. Uh, you know, he's currently the head coach at Trinity Collegiate School up in South Carolina, and this is going to be a great episode. So, Mike, welcome. Happy to have you. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored. I'm honored. I'm very much looking forward to this time. I'll give our listeners a little bit of a background. When Mike joined the college level, we were together for a year at the University of South Florida. So... Uh, We'll get to that in a minute, but Mike, maybe give our listeners a brief journey where you've been, how it got started, and how you got to Trinity right now. Um, well, you know, I, I think the journey is so important and the reason to why I do what I do now. And it, it started back, honestly, um, when I was a child, you know, my family was relocating to a private school because I had a very talented bas a sister that was a basketball player. And um, it exposed an opportunity for myself to be educated at this private school as well, which was a change for my family at the inner city of DC. Uh, the interesting thing during that time, we were exposed, I was exposed to our boys basketball program in high school that was ran by a gentleman named Stu Vetter. And Stu Vetter is legendary as one of the all time winningest coaches in high school basketball. I think in the Washington, D.C. metro area, once you talk about Morgan Wooten, um, you also have to talk about Stu Vetter and what he's done. And so I was I was really blessed to, to be a part of that because it kind of planted the seed um, in the start of my coaching career. I started coaching under Stu Vetter's tenure at, at uh, St. John's at Prospect Hall in Frederick, Maryland. Um, as, as I graduated high school and was in, in college taking classes, I started to coach. Um, at the same time, I was I had a sister that was very talented and I became her AAU coach. And now I'm experiencing what girls basketball is at the highest level at that age level. And it kind of trajected a journey for me to get into coaching more full time. Um, I, I, after finishing school, I actually went into education. I started working at a school called Notre Dame Academy in Virginia. Um, there I was there for about 10 years. Um, coach boys and girls We really had some great success there in the area, won about three state championships, um, had about coached about two or three All-Americans there. Um, you know, it was an opportunity of really recreating that experience that we had in when I went to St. John's at Prospect Hall. And um, I just been following it. Jeff, I, I believe it's been my calling in life that um, this, this basketball has impacted and changed the life of my family. And the way for me to impact and do that same to others is to create that same opportunity and blessing that we were fortunate to have. Um, it's led me to South Florida to meeting you. And now it's led me back to South Carolina to doing this very much again um, at a school called Trinity Collegiate School in the of South Carolina. You know, Mike, I've always told people when when your name comes up and, and everyone always has a smile when you say the name Mike Teasley, but... I think you're one of the people that are in it for the right reasons. You could have made bigger money, brighter lights, bigger logos. But, I mean, you just talked about helping kids and 
impacting families that you were a product of using the basketball. But I want to get to Stu Vetter a little bit. And for those that don't know, he is, you know, if if Morgan Wooten's one, he's 1A. But what are some lessons that you learned from uh, from Stu? And do you still incorporate some of those things in your coaching style now? Absolutely. Um, I mean, the foundation of most of the things that I do come from two gentlemen that have been very important figures in my coaching career, and that's been Steve Vetter and another gentleman named Ed Hoffman. Um, both of those guys have taught me um, some very valuable lessons as a young man in life. Um, and and it's, it's from understanding discipline. It's understanding accountability. Um, as young kids, teaching them how to understand time management and respect and all those things and being able to be accepting to all and kind of courtesy to all. All these things are attributes that I was able to start getting as a part of this program. As a child, I had no clue that I was taking on this um, this way of living, this way of being, but it was the culture that would have been created there. And this culture were teaching young men and women um, very important life skills. And so I, I think Stu has imp- has really, um, I, I think this day, I thought he was, when I was a kid in high school, I thought Stu Vetter was one of the meanest, toughest coaches I ever thought. I didn't think he, uh, uh, it was just a basketball guy and, and, you know, he had no relationship with those kids. And I learned, um, as I learned this man, that how, how much he had poured into helping better every kid that come through his program. It wasn't about just winning championships. You know, it was about bettering and giving these young men and women opportunities to start their life and their families. Um, and I've taken that. Um, that's with me a long way. Let's go X's and O's for a second. What are one, two of the best things that people don't know that Stu did on the quarter in practice? Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you a quick story about something I realized was through. This was uh, maybe uh, it was during the pandemic when, you know, obviously we were all at home and we, um, you know, all of the different Netflix and YouTubes and all the different streaming services became our fans. And we were that's all we had. And I stumbled across a show that was talking about it was a documentary on Dean Smith. And as I'm watching this. And I'm, of course, it's Dean Smith. I'm a basketball guy. You have to watch this. I mean, it's Dean Smith. And I'm watching it. And as I'm watching this documentary talking about just the um, the culture around Dean's program and some of the things that he put that was his system and he believed how they carried themselves, how they played. And it was exactly mirrored to what I experienced with Stu Vetter. And it made, it, it made me jog back to memory. And I saw Stu since this. And I remember his relationship, his journey was his experience to Dean Smith. He is, so I, it, it just clicked to me that, you know, I have been fortunate enough to, to really receive just really the same thing that he was taught from, from Dean Smith down to him and he's passed on to these people in his program. And we're continuing to take that torch and doing that. His legacy has expanded because he has impacted us in that way and has connected us to that. Um, I mean, Stu, to watch Stu's program I had never seen so much play with structure. I mean, his teams were spaced. They understood how to play. Um, they played very much under control. Um, I, I'd never seen a, a team at such a young age in high school that executed the way they did. 
Um, I just it just was a different exposure for me in basketball coming from the inner city of D.C. And um, I believed in that from the most of my coaching career. Most of my teams and all of my sets, we played and we teach some of the same principles that I learned from Stu Vetter um, in structure and spacing um, and the Carolina traditional break and all those things. Some of those things are foundation of basketball that is still very important to this day. Um, it has transcended through the years. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate Stu for that because I, I always feel like I'm connected to that history because of him, through him. I have one other one that you mentioned about off the court. Mike, is there a skill that you really stress for your guys to carry off the court? Or maybe what basketball skill translates off the court to becoming better people? Well, listen, I, I, I think one of the great things about basketball is it, it, it brings people from all different uh, economic backgrounds, all different race, um, different communities, you know, the diversity that you have within the band. It teaches a global part of this world that when we become adults, it's very much about our lives in the business. We have to learn how to work with other people. We have to learn to um, respect other people. We have to learn to work together with other people. I think the tools of some of those things um, really, really affect those kids in life. And I carry it with me. I think that's something that we really, off the court, we try to. I try to really push with my my kids is understanding that you know we always want to be able to communicate with people. You want to be, treat people well, and you want to be respectful to them as you want people to respect you. I think in life that allowed them to get further along. Um, and, and become better citizens um, and better men in their families. Coach Teasley, I um, I spent six years at Chapel Hill High School, and I could tell you part of my job requirement was that we had to run the Carolina break. It was it was kind of a non-negotiable. You know, if you're coaching at Chapel Hill, you got to run some Carolina stuff. But yeah. um, talk about the the basketball culture in DC because often people think. New York, Philadelphia, but DC just has such a rich basketball tradition. Listen, I I think it's the best basketball community in the world. Um, I mean, the amount of talent that's in that area is unbelievable. Um, outside of the plan, the the level of coaching in that area is unbelievable. Um, you know, we have kids that are just getting it so much earlier. Um, and, and because of the type of schools in that community, you know, you, you're having a culture of not just great, great, great kids, and great programs, but they're going to great schools. And so you're able to reach these kids at younger ages. Um, the talent just continue to grow so much younger. Um, and that's because of the, the platform in that community. I mean, it's such a big sport in Washington that the youth areas has, has changed. Um, I think Washington, D.C. has led some of the country in changing the basketball. I mean, the NBA, look at the NBA. The Kevin Durant's documentary that just had um, the interesting part that he just did in his documentary that, that talked about you know, D.C. players. It covered an era of that, that those during his years. But, I mean, it's hundreds of players that have played in the NBA from the Washington, D.C. community that's outside of the Kevin Durant era. Um, it's just such an amazing community for, for basketball. Um, from my experience. You mentioned you've, you coach both boys and girls. And I know that often that 
let's say if 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 I've been a I predominantly have been a boys coach. I've coached pretty much boys, and if I wanted to transition into girls coaching, there's always been sort of a stereotype or a mindset that I'm not able to coach girls. And mm-hmm. talk about that because that's you know it's some sometimes that's just been just a false narrative and people really don't understand the truth that there's really there's no really no boys or girls it's just basketball what are your thoughts i've lost him jeff i lost him can you hit pause uh, no, we'll just we'll edit it out. We'll edit. just get back on, and we'll just get uh, Mitch to uh, edit it through. Remember your question. Oh, your question was boys versus girls. Yeah, I'll go- do boys versus girls. Then, if you want to jump in and start talking about Nate. Yeah. All right, hey we coach. Back. Yeah, we back. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. yeah. No, no problem. No problem. Right. Let's just p- go ahead. Just pick up where you were talking. We'll edit. Uh, we'll edit it from there, and then we'll just continue the conversation. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I think with listen, I, I always consider myself a girls coach that's coaching boys basketball right now. And um, I didn't find it to be very different and difficult at all to transition from coaching boys um, at a high school level to now coaching girls at a high school level and then going on to coach women in college. Um, I think the difference was, I mean, when you're coaching and kids want to be coached and they want to be taught and it's, it's about relationships. And so I think my way of coaching and my way of teaching has always built through relationships. Like every player that I've ever coached, I have a relationship with that kid. And so when you have a relationship with them, you, you don't, you don't have those highs or lows of that separation because you're coaching that kid and that kid's going to play for you. Um, that kid's going to play above what they know how they can do because they want to play for you because they know you care. They know you're invested in their interest. And so I don't see a big difference. Obviously, there is a difference in the pace of the game, the athleticism in the game. But I've been blessed to be around some really talented women in basketball. And um, so even when I jumped into coaching girls basketball, I knew that the ceiling was so high. And and the ceiling was higher than people were even ready for um, or had been exposed to and where I was staying and where I was coaching. Um, so I, I didn't see a difference. I, I enjoyed both very much so. Mike, let me talk Notre Dame prep for just a couple minutes. You know, part of it is at, at the college level, you know, someone's got players, you know, coaches roll in it. And Mike had built this program, Lason, and I rolled in. And I've been to a lot of bad practices. And you tell coach, wow, that's a great drill. That's three on two. Do you come up with that? That's good, you know. But I remember Mike's first practice. I was really impressed. He had ownership. It practiced. It had pace. It was, it just related. How about, Mike, talk about, your practice planning thoughts back then when you had some major, major kids? Well, listen, I, I mean, when practicing and preparation is everything. Um, I mean, I came from a culture that, you know, we, you know, our program went 11 months a year. We, we spent 
preseason, which is three months before you start allowed to play basketball and literally working out every day and skill development and, and teaching the game and teaching how you want them to play and incorporating your system. Um, you know, I, I had to, if we were trying to build a program that was going to be a college preparatory program, because I was at a college preparatory high school, um, we went to mirror what was happening at the collegiate level. Uh, my staff every year, um, we, I mean, being in the Washington area is great is because you have so many universities there and colleges there. Um, but we, we would get on the road in you know, certain years. I would say, you know, this year we're all going to Philly. And if we're going to Philadelphia, that means we're going to go to St. Joe's. We're going to go to Villanova. We're going to go to Drexel. Um, you know, we're going to go to Temple. We're going to go to these practices. Uh, I want to go watch these practices. And, I, and I'll never forget um, the most impactful practice that I've ever been in. And, and I've been around a lot was Phil Martelli at, at St. Joe's at the time. I mean, I had never seen Jeff. You talk about pace and accountability in practice and it was phil martelli he snapped it i mean i never seen a case go so quickly from one thing to the next and they competed at, through the whole entire thing uh, it was coming back and i said this is what we have to be able to do um and that was a change when i went into girls basketball i, I never rem I, I remember seeing Ken roy williams at kansas and watching the pace at which kansas will get up and down the floor um, I knew that we had to mirror that. That's the way I wanted us to play. And um, so our, our practice had to be structured. We had practice plans every day. Our practice plan started with a, a, quote, a quote of the day for each day, and it started with a point of emphasis. And we, we discussed those things at the beginning of practice when we come together as a family to talk about what is the quote of the day. Each kid had to memorize the quote of the day and be able to, to recite it on command. Um, and then they had to know what the point of emphasis is because that's obviously what we're trying to attack in the part of our practice. And so we wanted to teach them those things as well. And we wanted to structure a practice plan so we can stay on course and we can be able to accomplish the things that we need to be able to accomplish. And, and again, they would see those things that they go to the next level. And so again, it was all about just creating that college preparatory um, program for our, for our students. Yeah, Phil Martelli's, you know, in the coaching world, he's one of the best teachers. And I think obviously it's paid off, you know, St. Joe's lost Michigan's gain and he's been down here yeah. recruiting and they've gotten a couple of our guys. And I just hope if he wants it, he has another chance because he is a coach's coach. And you're right, Mike. Yes. Even when I was in junior college, you know, and we averaged 100 plus one season. I wondered, you know, if it could be done on the boys. I just wanted girls to have people come in and say they don't play like girls, you know, yes. and yeah. uh, it's yeah. so important. But and, and it's the biggest compliment, you know, probably the not probably the most talented Teasley would be Nikki Teasley. And I think before her time, people would say Nikki plays like a boy. And that was a compliment. Absolutely. It wasn't derogatory. But maybe talk a little bit about, before we jump into recruiting, about Nikki's skill development and how she got to that point. Listen, I, I was blessed to have a front row seat to what I think is one of the greatest point guard, women's point guards that played the, bas that played the game of basketball. Um, I mean, it was, I miss those days of watching Nikki as she grow and developed and learning who she was as a player. Um, and just dominating. I mean, she was so talented, so gifted at such a young age. 
um, being a, a very tall, athletic, lengthy young lady that was a point guard. It was unheard of. I mean, she was getting compared to Magic Johnson in her days because of, you think of tall point guards, you think of Magic. Um, I think at the time, even as Nikki's transitioning into college and having such, such success, um, you know, she still was learning. She still was learning how to be a better player. She was learning how to practice. Her learning curve never ended, even into her pro career. And I think that was one of the things that sometimes people don't understand when you are really good, a really good player. Like you have to continue to get better, keep it and learning. And that process has to never stop. And I thought over Nikki's career, I saw that. I saw her to mature as a player um, more so when she got into the WNBA, understanding the value of working out, um, taking care of her body, eating healthier. Um, taking the time in her off seasons to find things that she wants to be good at the following year to, to give her an edge, um, her approach to the game, all those things started to develop as she became older. Um, and it was the help of people around her, like the Lisa Leslie's of the world. Um, but Nikki was always skilled as young. Like, I mean, in Washington, DC, it was, um, Nikki was one of the players that was, they did say they played like a boy, uh, cause she did. I mean, we we were we had three. It was three of us at the time around the same age. Um, we would go to the playground, local playgrounds in Washington D.C. and play pickup, you know. And we would always act like, you know, we'll pick up, we'll take the girl, because they had no clue that this girl can play the way she is. So we'd be like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll take the girl. And, and I mean, she's the best player on the court <laughs> by herself. And um, it was just our little thing. We were all over the city to do that. All over Washington DC to do that when Nikki was a kid. And she was just she was just tough, man. To this day, I've never seen any player like it. Yeah. How about now? She is everybody's first pick coming out of high school. Talk about maybe not just Nikki's recruitment going to play for Coach Hatchell and talk about that story, but what other advice would you give to high school head coaches? that have a super and how to handle the recruiting process. Yeah, listen, um, recruiting has changed over the years from now when Nikki was going through the process to now, um, the, the, the culture all around recruiting has changed drastically. But I remember back when Nikki, when it first started, Nikki first got her first letter um, from college at the day, I'm talking letters, like kids don't even get letters from colleges anymore from, from coaches. You know, it's through Twitter and everything else. And um, but she got her first letter. She was in the seventh grade at the time. The letters would say something nice, like "hello" or something. But it also have due to NCAA rules, we're not allowed to say such and such. You know, but it was from University of Virginia. It was from Debbie Ryan, and that was the first thing she ever seen at the seventh grade. And um, as she went through the years and and started to really be recruited, I mean, Nikki in high school was the number one player in the country as a senior. Um, she was a Gatorade state player of the year, her last three years of high school. Um, just really one of the top players and one of the phenom players of her time coming through high school. Uh, in the class with Tamika Ketchens and Samika Randall, which were really big name basketball players and women, women's basketball as well. Um, I remember as her getting to high school and her recruitment started to pick up. Um, one of the rich stories about Nikki is everyone's recruiting her. Um, in the summertime, we're playing AAU as, as college coaches at this time are allowed to talk to you after the games. 
And so I remember after we played, we I literally have a line formed all the way around the court trying to make sure, because I am her brother as well, so they, they're going to stand there how long it takes to make sure they talk to me about our team because they get to talk to her brother and um, to see if they can get one up. And I remember those days. It was just crazy. And how it got to her, her senior year, she had narrowed her list down to 14 schools. And that was supposed to be narrowed down, 14 schools. We, that was where she put that was her final list starting in September of her recruiting period. And I remember the first five schools that come in for home visits, um, you know, with some legendary names, Vivian Schranger, uh, <laughs> she's there, you know, Greeny Portland at Penn State at the time, uh, Debbie, Debbie Ryan of Virginia, Sylvia Hatcher of North Carolina, Andy Landers um, of Georgia. I mean, some great big basketball names. I mean, legends. Um, and I remember after she gets to the fifth one, she said, listen, I, I can't take anymore. <laughs> and so, I mean, it was very overwhelming. She narrowed her list down and then shortly after that made her decision. Um, but I mean, it's just have we translate that to now, you know, where Nikki had so much control in her recruiting process, I think it's changed. And, and one of the things I echo to the high school coaches um, now that when we have a transfer portal that is a big recruiting tool for colleges, um, you know, we have to be, we have to understand that our, our kids have to make decisions a little quicker. We have to be, we, we also have to be more alert earlier to be involved in the process uh, with kids, especially if you have a higher, a, a higher level kid. You know, those, those, that action is starting to happen. Those kids, freshmen, sophomore, and junior years. Um, it's very seldom you see those kids are getting to a senior now and they still haven't committed anywhere. Um, and so I, I would just advise the coaches that to, to, Understand to be aggressive early at helping families and helping kids and making sure you understand their grades matter now because with the new transfer portal and the new way the recruiting are and the schools offer very quickly, your kid doesn't control it. They don't have time to wait. You know, if you're going to go take a visit at a college, by the time they come, you know, they, they, you know, you have to make a decision soon. It's, it's very much rushed now because there's other kids that have offers and there's opportunities for them. And now the transfer portal has become another option. Um, so I, I just think recruiting has changed. I think coaches have to be very involved helping their families understand it and their kids uh, understand opportunities sooner than later. Um, but, man, um, when you have a kid like Nikki, and we, we have a kid like Nikki now at our school, now it's a young lady, and she's going through some of the things. Now she's in 10th grade. She has about 11 Division One offers. And so her family's trying to um, juggle that whole process. And I, I, as I... As I'm watching it, I look at how different, drastically different it is from when Nikki was going through it. Um, very much so. Coach Teasley, how do you, how do you kind of help manage expectations with with your players and the families, the the ones that that think they should be getting the D, the high D one offers, but realistically, they're 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 maybe their skill sets probably low D one, maybe D two or even D three. Talk about your strategy for kind of helping them kind of see the reality of the situation and, and kind of help, uh, help manage that. Well, listen, I mean, I always tell the kids first things, but you have to understand you have to pay attention to who want you. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I can want to go play at Duke all my life or Carolina all my life, you know, but if John Hopkins and, um, you know, one of these other division three schools, you know, it's all this recruiting me, then maybe I'm a division three player. 
And so we talked to our kids about understanding, um, you know, how to be realistic. I'm very honest with them about you know, where their recruitment is and who's interested in them and, and, and those opportunities, because at the end of the day, this is about having your education paid for. And, um, and so, you know, we talk about that early. We talk about colleges a lot. Um, everything is built around um, in, in our school. And I, deal, I believe with kids, they have to take ownership on their process of their future. And so we start talking about those things very early. But that expectation is exactly um, to, to be honest with them about their recruitment and understand the differences. This is the level that you're being recruited at. This is the level maybe that you are best to play. And you want to go where someone wants you. Um, um, because that is, you, you never want to go somewhere where you're chasing something and you're not, you're not in the plans. I think of that from my program. You want to be in my plans as year to year. I'm thinking how to continue to better our program. It needs to have you involved. You want to be able to be that player. And so we talked a lot about that. You mentioned that you've coached AAU. I've coached AAU as well. Talk about the relation, your relationship with those AAU coaches, because, you know, sometimes you hear, you know, there's sometimes differences in terms of philosophy and, and, and just the way they kind of see their role. How do you kind of bridge that gap and, and work with the AAU coaches to make sure that this is a team effort to help this young man or this young lady get to the get to, you know their dream of playing college basketball? Yeah, listen, I think it's always been such a battle between the AAU coaches and then the high school coaches. And I never thought, listen, it's about the kids. And so, you know, it's, it's two different parts of the year, it's two different approaches to the game of basketball, the way we play. Um, you know, I, I, I believe I have been both. I believe in development is about both. And so I believe in the relationship with every AAU coach. I have a relationship with every AAU coach in our, in our area, in our community. Um, because that's about the development of the sport and the kids in basketball. Um, they're able to have for public school coaches in general. Their AAU coaches and other coaches are able to have your kids when you're restricted because of your association rules to work with your kids. And ultimately, we should be about developing those kids' skills, developing the ability to play the game. And I think it should be a collaboration of both. It never should be either or. Um, coaching is coaching. We're all into this to be coaching kids and, and making people better. It, it doesn't matter which side of it you're coaching on in the summer or in, during the winter high school season. And so I, I believe in that. I believe in the partnership between the two. Um, I think that's been some of the reasons that's helped in my success as well. Um, I'm involved with our kids' AAU placement. Let's talk about another, uh, another, um, I guess, kind of trend that's grown now, and that's personal trainers. These developmental yeah. trainers that work with work with athletes. Yeah. Again, yeah. this could be a this could be a huge you know source of, of pain, depending on what that trainer is telling you know the the players that they're working with and what you're trying to, and what you're telling them. So. Again, your thoughts on, on managing those relationships? Well, listen, I, I, I love the skill development aspect. I feel like I'm kind of the old school coach now, so I'm not the one out there doing all the drills and stuff with my kids and the one-on-one -on -one development stuff as much as my young assistants are. And, um, you know, so I believe in the training aspect of it. I think where the conflict that I have sometimes with training um, is, you know, training a skill 
it's still not very much. I mean, you still have to teach the game of basketball. You know, you still have to teach a kid how to play in the game of basketball, how to use and incorporate those things that you worked on in the game. Um, and sometimes I think you find contradiction in things with trainers and, and, and coaches is because, you know, trainers have their agenda. I mean, they're, they're, this is their job. This is their, they're being paid to tell you the things that they need to tell you to continue to keep their revenue coming in. Um, you know, I think some of that can get lost with high school coaches. Um, but um, I, I welcome them. I welcome them with our kids because at the end of the day, if that's something that someone on my staff's not strong at, I believe incorporating that because ultimately it's about the development of that player and that kid. Um, um, so I, I do welcome. I try to not um, separate the two. One of one of uh, I, I use one as my strength coach is a guy that's in town as a trainer, even in our community. Um, and I, I hire him to be our strength coach. That's what he does. And I believe we can collaborate and our kids will benefit at the end of the day. So talk about hiring hiring your staff. What are some things that you look for when you're looking to bring in a person into your program, into your culture? What are some non-negotiables for you? Um, listen, you have to I mean, first you have to be a really you have to be a good person. I mean, we're I'm dealing with kids. I'm a high school coach. We're dealing with very young kids. We're dealing with kids at a very vulnerable age in the development of their their their, their character, whether male or female. And so the character of the person who we were just coming into our program is very important. I want to know who they are. I want to know about them. Um, you know, I, I we're very drug we, we're drug free, so I don't want anybody doing those things. And you know, just the typical things. But I, ultimately, the things I'm looking for is someone that can continue to be mentor and pour into these kids in the development of their their lives. Um, and so we try to surround them with that. And I try to do it very diversely because um, I want to be able to have, um, you know, I want I have a coach, two coaches that are in their 60s on my staff, um, and I have a, a, an assistant coach. I have an assistant coach that just got a job at a college level last year, but I have another assistant coach that just graduated from Clemson University, and he he's a former player, and he's back coaching, and and two other former player coaches on my staff there in the middle. So I mean these. You know, it's very purposeful driven. I, I want to put people that are involved in that have obviously played the next level where these young men and women are trying to get to. Um, like older people to help instill some important values in them as young men and young women. Um, so I, I very much try to strategically put people around to continue to help benefit our our students and, and better our young men and women as they start their lives. Mike, I want to get to Trinity Collegiate where you are now. And, you know, what obviously you have a great reputation, not just as a teacher, but a builder. What got you interested in, you know, again, whenever you take a job, there was always questions, concerns. What were yours going into this job? Oh, it was such a, I mean, I, I've, so Trinity is such an interesting Jeff, because I've been at Trinity before. I started Trinity in 2011 um, and was here for two years before returning back to Washington, D.C. And um, so to, to, you know, seven years later to get the call about coming back down for an opportunity, um, you know, I, I, it was a lot of there was a lot of things that I had to you know, think about in this opportunity. Again, you know, exactly where did we want to go? Um, in athletics at this school. Um, I, I knew that I was returning, there was a bit of school I'm returning to that I was familiar with, and I was familiar with the administration. 
but exactly, you know, kind of where was the school in their growth process? Um, I wanted to know that for sure, because we're in the process of building. When you, when you come and do this, you're actually laying foundation to building a program. And you want to know that this is something, a place where they believe those things are important. And um, I found that all to be the case at Trinity. Uh, I found an amazing place here in South Carolina to be able to start to build something special that we can impact kids' lives. Um, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful, small, private school in, in Darlington, South Carolina. And um, they were, when we started the school back in 2011, it was only 72 students. Um, now, in 2021, we're at 407 students. Um, in private school in South Carolina, that growth is just unbelievable. Um, and that's just a, a testament to the, the, the board of trustees and the leadership there and the head of school there, uh, the work that they've done over the years. And so that played a big role in me returning back to South Carolina. Um, just the growth and the direction, um, the diversity in the school. Um, I thought all of those things mirrored some of the things that I thought that was uh, led me into doing this in the first place um and so yeah it was it, it became a no-brainer once i came down and saw it and spent some time with people here you know in a lot of places and i believe trinity is the same that athletics and athletes it's kind of the front porch the calling card you know to get your name out there but there's positives and negatives your kids are under a spotlight and especially up in darlington Maybe talk about the role at your place of a student athlete in a spotlight and how they have to handle themselves. Yeah, listen, I mean, I think one of the great things that Trinity has done over the years is the academic reputation the school has. Um, I mean, the amount of merit money at this small school that these kids get to go to college every year is just unbelievable. Um, and it's just a testament of the school. And I think with our kids, when we have our kids, they're understanding that you are now a, you're a student athlete. And sometimes with student athletes, there comes with a certain perception that you're not smart or that you are not serious. And, and so, you know, our kids have to, you know, understand very early with us that, you know, what's important here and is important is your education. Um, and so they, they understand that. They understand their purpose of why they're here. They never forget that. And so, it's, it's been a great call. It's been a great match. It's been a great, it's a great place to build any type of program in athletics when you have a school culture that's that way and, and that everyone celebrates excellence. Um, it's just, it, it allows the student that is not a strong student and that have um, difficulties in multiple areas to strive to want to be better because of they, it's, it's cool to be smart. Um, and so our, our kids do, come with that they're they're very big guys walking around um and so they, they understand that they are that they have they're expected to be better but they understand there's a responsibility for them to be better because they're 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 paving the way for other kids to have the same opportunity you know one thing i don't know if we mentioned and we talked that mike's a builder and building trinity collegiate um you know he also happened to win the state championship last year but I know there's a school up there, you know, that plays in the uh, NIBC, which is the best of the best. But are people in the area taking notice? Is Are people knocking on your door and see this coming that this is going to be the stop 
for high school, great education, great basketball in South Carolina? Well, you know, Jeff, to me, it's, it's, it's layers. So I think first we have to establish ourselves in the community um, and understanding that community know how special of a place we are. Um, and then I think once we've done that, then we continue to expand that throughout the state and then continue to move further than that. And what has happened, what has transpired here, I'm going into year number three here, is that um, we have now put in ourselves in a, as a level that of the respect from everyone in the state is that, that we're, you know, we are a very good program, we're a very good place and we have, you know, exceptional players, but we also, you know, they're coming from a very good school. I think, um, it's definitely has changed. Uh, we, we're not we're not the program that has done this up in the upper part of our state. That's done very well and is a part of the NIBC. Um, but they have they are also have also showing kind of a blueprint. I think they are, have amazing program there. I, I I've watched and seen their staff. They do a great job. And so, you know, we work with them as well. And I think some of those things will get noticed more on a regional level for us as we continue to grow. Um, but we're at year three. Is not a point of emphasis for me here, Jeff, at all. I know you, you've known me for a while. You know I've had teams that's been ranked number one in the country, and, and we won state championships before. Um, you know we just really want to match the the level of excellence that we have in the school academically. We wanted to really be across the board, uh, a place where you know we are tr truly preparing kids for college. You know both on both sides, academically and athletically. And so um, I, I think that's, that's the basketball is helping to show how great of a place we are in the state. And we're starting to see some of that to happen. Um, I think the, how the success that we'll have in the, the year or two coming will determine, you know, how we continue to grow on more of a regional and, and national level. But um, you know, man, it's fun to do it right now. And it's fun to, to, to be building again. And um, it's surprising a lot of people. It, it's actually pretty fun, man. <laughs> It really is. I'm enjoying every bit of this. Winning is fun. No, uh, We're going to have some fun right now. Good segue. We're going to ask you a couple of our favorite questions that we ask people, Mike. All right, tell me the favorite app on your phone. Don't go with Twitter or Facebook, but what's an app you would recommend to some of our listeners? Okay, can you, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. My favorite app on my phone is absolutely hands down TikTok. <laughs> really? I laugh hands at down. it. I find hands it down. and I, I say this TikTok in a all the time. <laughs> in a good way. You could get on TikTok, 30 minutes go by, and it's like, I don't know what happened. I just got on. And uh it is it's really fun. Um Hilarious. all right. Favorite ride at a carnival? Well, I'm afraid of roller coasters, so I don't get on those. <laughs> um, so, no, typically, if anyone knows me, my favorite ride at a carnival is uh, go karts. <laughs> Anything that I can get in something and ride around in the car. <laughs> let me, okay, let me add it. Let's add an additional question here, Jeff. Favorite food at a carnival or fair? What's the favorite food item that you like? Oh, I'm, I'm listen. I really am a cotton candy dude. Like, I'm a cotton candy dude. Like, when I was a kid, even to now, like, I you would look for me and you would know to find me where they're making cotton candy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. Let's say you're a great relief pitcher. 
you're coming in the bottom of the ninth at home. What is the song they're playing when you come out of the bullpen to get that final out to win the game? What's your song? My song. Yeah. That's going to get the crowd going. You really don't want to know, Jeff. It's actually a little hood. (laughs) 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 Um, So I had to give you a different song than that one because that's a DC song. (laughs) But I do make them play it at every every game, every home game. We have to play my song. Good for you. Good for you. I don't know. I don't have a favorite song. That's all right. I put you on the spot. I put yeah. you on the spot. This has been this has been so much fun, you know. And, and Lace, what I will say, you know, I'm around, you know, Kevin Boyle at Montverde. He'll be in, you know, Springfield Hall of Fame, and he's done it. He's built it. But, and I think our listeners will see. Uh, you know, sometimes I'd say if I have a son, I have a son, but he's he's staying south down here. But you can tell why people love Mike Teasley. He's in it for the right reasons. He builds it. He cares about the kids. It's about education, you know, and uh, obviously Kevin has great players and I love going to practice. But if Mike was closer, I'd love watching him practice and just seeing kids come in and where they finish, to me, that's that's the telltale of a coach, seeing where those kids finish. Oh, you could just tell by the passion that, he, you know, tonight, I'm talking about everything was focused on making that individual not only just better on the court, but off the court as well. And, and I mean that, and I think he said it best. It is a calling. I think it, this is a calling for us who have been, who've been blessed and fortunate to be in this, uh, you know, in this this line of work. You're right. I mean, the, the kids up there, the administration up there, they got a winner. Mike, can you maybe tell us where our listeners can find you, social media, anything else you've got going on? Yes. Well, actually, please, uh, our, our school website is trinitycollegic.org. That's trinitycollegic.org. Um, uh, definitely can find us there, but you can follow me on, on Twitter, which is underscore titans basketball underscore titans basketball and on instagram coach underscore teasley well i think mike this has been great i told Layson just you know besides the word teacher you are just one of the most genuine people i know and um this is this has been a great episode and again this has been the fifth quarter conversations beyond the X's and O's. And I'm Jeff Osterman with Lason Perkins and a final thank you to coach Mike Teasley. Thanks guys for having me. I appreciate it. Coach, thank you for being a part of it. Thank you, Lacey. Thank you so much. Go Tar Heels.